Hello and welcome to the latest Guernsey Green Finance podcast rated one of the top 10 most useful sustainable finance podcasts by Green Finance Guide. Guernsey is one of the jurisdictions leading the way in green and sustainable finance and as part of this podcast series we'll be speaking to and learning from some of the leading global figures in the field. My name's Rosie Alsop. I am the communications manager at We Are Guernsey, the promotional agency for Guernsey's finance industry. And today I am delighted to be speaking to Tanya Dos Santos, who's the global head of sustainability for Investec Group and head of Investec Rhino Lifeline. Welcome, Tanya. Morning, Rosie. So to start, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in sustainable investing? Well, Rosie, I mean, it's an interesting, interesting question because when I was looking at options to go to university um, many, many years ago, there was no such thing as sustainability back then. Um, there was no such thing as impact investing or ESG. It didn't exist. Um, I landed up doing uh, economics, a degree in economics, and ended up getting my master's in economics. And ironically, that's probably the closest you can get to sustainability from a university perspective, because it's all about demand and supply and understanding that there are limited natural resources. So um, I think deep down inside, I, I obviously had a yearning to do something in sustainability, and that was, that was as close as I could get. Um, the other irony is that when I joined Investec almost 20 years ago, um, one of my first uh, projects was that was given to me by the then chairman was to write our first sustainability report. Had no idea what that meant, and I had to go and Google it. Um, there wasn't a lot to, to go on, so I really had to figure it out myself. But I literally put together Investec's first sustainability report that was released in 2002. So in some way, I've been on this journey for, for a long time. Um, I've worked in strategy, and strategy is all about how are we ensuring that the business is going to be here for the long term, you know, the resilience of our business. And sustainability is all about the resilience of our planet. Our businesses can't be here for the long term if we're not looking after, you know, all elements of people, planet, um, and still making a profit. So um, I've landed up in this space, but I think I've been on this journey for a long time. Well, it's great to have you with us on the podcast today. We've recently had a bit of a theme looking to Africa with Gareth Phillips from the African Development Bank on the podcast back in September, and Phil Davis from Helios talking about private equity ESG and impact investing in Africa in March. So we are very much looking forward to hearing your insights today. Can you tell us a bit about Investec's investment philosophies and your sustainability strategy? Sure. So our um, sustainability principles or philosophies are really based on um, five core things. So firstly, we're about creating long-term value for all our stakeholders. So it's no longer this focus just on profit. We're creating long-term value for everyone. Uh, the second is around do no harm. 
And that's this ethical conduct and um, ESG screening. So first and foremost, we need to make sure that we're doing no harm. Then we have um, a very clear focus and commitment on the clean carbon transition, because that's ultimately driving um, a, a huge element of sustainability. Then the fifth area is how are we within our own businesses ensuring that we're providing firstly profitable, but then impactful and sustainable products and services. Um, and lastly, we um, look to maximize impact through the sustainable development goals. So we see the sustainable development goals as that blueprint for the long-term vision and how are we doing everything in our space to maximize impact. So those are the principles, but essentially our strategy is based on living sustainably. So within Investec, our operations, our policies, our processes, how are we living sustainably? How are we through our business activities, partnering with our clients to ensure you know, that we're, we're having a greater impact? And then lastly, how are we working with our communities and other stakeholders um, to further our sustainability goals? It's really good to hear you talk about the sustainable development goals. We have a particular focus on sustainable development goal number 13 on climate action. Uh, and we agree it's so important to consider all of those goals. Looking to the African continent, can you talk to the current conversations in Europe, the US and Asia on the net zero transition and how it impacts the continent, especially when you consider balancing net zero, the other sustainable development goals? Yeah, um, so this is really a dilemma for emerging markets as a whole, but in particular, you know, coming from, a, from an African perspective. Um, we are decades behind, if not 50 years behind um, the developed world in terms of our growth aspirations and how um, we, uh, we get there. So it's a lot easier in the first world to set net zero ambitions by 2050, um, because they've already done what they could in terms of um, generating coal and the worst carbon emissions. It's, it's we're only just starting. So in South Africa, for example, we're still 75% dependent um, on coal for uh, power generation. So to get to net zero by 2050 is, is incredibly hard. And in fact, we're relying on those first world countries to help us to be able to get there. Um, so this really is a dilemma, I think, facing a number of uh, emerging markets. Um, but I, at the same time, I'm, I'm hopeful because we can always skip what's happened in the last 20, 30 years in, in the developed world and, you know, go straight to net zero, go straight to um, a green economy instead of waiting for the technology. You know, the technology exists. Uh, so, so for me, there's, you know, at the same time, we don't need to transition at the same rate that the developed world did. We can leapfrog and, and go ahead. Yeah, I absolutely appreciate and agree with you uh, on the support that's needed from the developed world to help more developing nations. And it's really good to hear your perspectives on this. In terms of net zero ambitions, who do you feel is driving the movement forwards? Is it country policy or company policy that's at the forefront? And how do you think it's going to affect the global transition? So, you know, if I think of just Investex two core geographies, which is, you know, UK-based and South Africa-based. So we've got a developed um, country and we've got a developing country. 
Um, the UK, uh, just like Guernsey has um, committed to net zero by 2050, that helps drive what companies can do because it's almost the bigger framework and that really pushes and it, it propels companies forward to be able to meet those ambitions. Now, if, you, if your country doesn't have those ambitions, so in South Africa, we, we, it's a, we would like to, it's an ambition, but it's not a hard um, hardcore target. So the, 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 the infrastructure and the support is not in place for South Africa to be able to get there right now, um, which makes it very hard for a corporate to then have that as their target because you're so dependent on um, you know, how your energy is procured. We're even um, limited on how we can, as a business, procure energy. So we can't just go and put a whole lot of solar panels up, you know, outside and, and say, okay, well, we're no longer taking energy from the grid. It, it's not that simple. We are reliant on the infrastructure um, that is provided by the country. So it's a bit of both. It's a, it's a push and pull, um, but really it needs a more comprehensive strategy that brings the two together. Yeah, for sure. It feels to me like there's been a huge sea change across financial services in support of sustainability with COP26, SFDR uh, coming into force and so on. So when discussing sustainability with your clients, is this the feeling that you're getting? How do those conversations go and what responses are they, you know, what are they saying to you? Um and are there differences between different types of clients, such as private equity, private banking, et cetera? Yeah, so I definitely think there is a, there's been a massive um, awakening across all our clients in the last few years. Um, and it's come at different times and, and you know, at different speeds. Um, so I almost feel like we're, you know, on a wave and we're at the crest at the moment. Um, so, which is really, really exciting. But yes, we definitely um, are seeing more of our clients coming to us, asking instead of us, you know, trying to encourage them to focus on ESG or sustainability. They are interested, they want to hear, particularly the UK, European um, clients. Uh, there's a much higher awareness in those geographies of these issues. Um, in South Africa, you, it, it's a little slower, but it's, it's fast catching up. We're starting to see those conversations. And then within the different types of clients. Um, so, for example, in Guernsey, we have um, you know, a home office um, and a, a trust business. And they, they are interested in, because you know, you're managing wealth for future generations. That's exactly what sustainability is all about. So those, those conversations are so critical. Um, how are we investing? Are we investing responsibly? I don't want to invest my money in uh, you know, coal anymore. What options have you got for me? Uh, I'm interested in education or I'm interested in having a greater impact on um, zero hunger. You know, what are your options so that I can direct my funds to the greatest impact? So we're definitely having different conversations with different client, uh, clients across the various businesses. Um, but yes, this, this, is, this is definitely the sea of change happening. Very much so. So ESG seems to be the term that's attracting a lot of attention at the moment. What are you seeing your clients being most concerned about? Is it impact? Is it ESG, sustainable investing or none of the above? 
Rosie, it's all of the above. Um, and that's the, for, for the same reason, you know, that I just explained, that people are at different stages in this journey. So for me personally, ESG is that do no harm part. So when I spoke about our principles, you know, one of them is do no harm. For me, ESG is still in that space. It's ensuring that everyone um, is being responsible in how they conduct themselves, um, you know, really pushing uh, the E and the S and the G of sustainability. But... The, the, the real opportunity is actually in the sustainable development goals. It's in the forward looking, it's in the business, it's in the profitable areas. It's not in the risk management, tick the box, uh, carbon management. That's, that's your, you know, that's almost your day to day and we should all be doing it. That's your, you know, get your house in order. Um, for me, the exciting part is around impact investing, the SDG uh, products and services that are coming out. So we're seeing all of them, all of the above um, and at varying degrees. That's really fantastic. So there's been an increasing number of standards and regulations, taxonomies making their way into the marketplace. Do you see a need for a universal reporting standard? And if so, do you see a front runner emerging? Absolutely. So this is, you know, as a sustainability practitioner, this is something we've struggled with for many, many years. Um, every year we, we have to add to our reporting because another standard has come out or another um, set of requirements. All the existing ones just keep expanding. Um, so and hence why you land up with these 100 page sustainability reports, because there are just so many people to please. Um, so I, I definitely think that there is a need to consolidate and align reporting. Um, there are a couple of, uh, you know, movements at the moment addressing this. Uh, one of them is the big four accounting firms where they're working with the World Economic Forum um, and a number of other organizations to try and give guidance and align reporting in this space. Um, but I think the one that really is going to be the front runner is that's, that's been announced more recently is the IFRS, the IFRS Foundation. Um, and they're working with SASB, GRI, CDP. So, you know, those core reporting guidelines, um, they're working with them to consolidate and come up with one guideline in terms of this non-financial reporting. And I think that's the key because we have to shift our mindset away from seeing this as non-financial to hang on, there is financial impacts. And how are we measuring impact? How are we giving a value? How do you assign a value to the social and environmental elements? Um, and I think coming out of IFRS, which is an accounting standard, is the best place you can go because it's hardcore. You know, you've got your accountants, you've got your CFOs, you've got the right people in the room taking this seriously. It's no longer just, you know, off the side of the desk. Uh, so I think I think the work that the, the IFRS Foundation are doing is probably the front runner on this. Okay. So climate finance and sustainable finance disclosure regulations and the task force on climate related financial disclosures uh, have been at the front and centre for sustainability for a while now. But we are definitely seeing the growing acknowledgement of the importance of biodiversity and nature within sustainable finance. So in my introduction, I mentioned that you are the head of Investec Rhino Lifeline. Can you tell us a bit more about this initiative and your views on biodiversity and conservation. 
Well, so th this is my happy place. Um, you know, the sustainability work is my day job, but um, what we do in conservation and with Rhino Lifeline is, is my night job and my um, weekend job, and, and it just gives me such joy. Um, it started out of a need to um, understand how many species are being um, are becoming extinct. So we we rose to the challenge in 2012 when the rhino were were being decimated in particularly in South Africa but across the world. And we didn't feel that it was sufficient to just hand over a check to an NGO um, who are doing great work. There are many NGOs doing great work in this space. We wanted to be, have a more hands-on approach. Um, and we set up our own initiative called Investec Rhino Lifeline. And that really is an umbrella for focusing on um, endangered species. And um, so we will look at a number of species, rhino being the flagship, uh, but we also look at wild dog, who are one of the most endangered species. More recently, we got involved with pangolin. Pangolin are the most trafficked um, animal in the world. Uh, and what this leads to, which for me is the most exciting part, is to what can we as a bank actually do besides, you know, protecting um, the species, education, uh, we're building, we, we support the economy of wildlife, so the, the people surrounding the reserves. Um, more importantly, how can we as a bank support uh, wildlife trafficking? How do we, you know, we have systems in place, we have anti-money laundering systems that work across the world to help against, you know, uh, drug trafficking and uh, human trafficking, and they're all related. So how can we use those existing systems to stop wildlife trafficking? Um, and as a bank, we're perfectly positioned. So you, you're now in an exciting space where we, we've got brilliant contacts and networks because of the work we've done in conservation. And we can now work with other banks and international agents to follow the money. Where's the money going? How's it you know, changing hands? Um, and we work with industries like the transport industry because the... the, the um, the products are moved across boundaries and across geographies. So the transport industry is important. The, the telecoms industry is important because, you know, financial payments can be made through your, your cell phone. Um, and so for me, that's the exciting space around conservation. It's not just, you know, supporting orphan rhinos, which is amazing and very rewarding, um, but you're actually using your financial expertise to have a much greater impact. That is absolutely fascinating. Um, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled to have met you today and to hear your insights, um, and particularly about Rhino Lifeline. I just love the sound of the work you're doing there. Um, I'd also like to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We've quite a back catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the Guernsey Green Finance podcast, and you can check them out by searching for Guernsey Green Finance wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at guernseygreenfinance.org and weareguernsey.com. And you can interact with us on Twitter at Guernsey Green Finance and We Are Guernsey. We also have links to Tanya and Investec's social media in our show notes. So check those out to hear more from her. You can also now register to attend our Sustainable Finance Week, which is presented in association with the United Nations Financial Centres for Sustainability. 
The event will be held live in Guernsey from the 7th to the 11th of June, and it will also be available for streaming online globally. We'll be continuing the conversation on the importance of private capital financing sustainability. Day one of our event looks at the broader global picture of public policy and mobilising private equity to the sustainable agenda. Day two focuses more on the role of family offices and the owners of significant private wealth. And day three will turn to the insurance industry and the real world effects of climate change. Check out our website for more details and to register. And we'll be back soon with another edition of the Guernsey Green Finance Podcast. Until then, it's goodbye from Guernsey.